KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. KMTT, the Torah podcast. Today is Tuesday. Shur in Parshat HaShavua. Shur Parshat HaShavua will be given this week as usual by Harav Hanoch Waxman. This week, Parshat Vayeshev, I'd like to discuss the story found in Perak Lamed Chet. Perak Lamed Chet, Pasuk Aleph, begins as follows. Vayibayitahi, and it wasn't that time, Vayirid Yehuda, Meitachav, and Yehuda separated, uh, literally went down from his brothers. Vayitatish Adulami, Ushmochira, and he turned and took up a friendship with a Adulamite man whose name was Chira. And the story goes on uh, to report how Yehuda marries a Canaanite woman named Shua, how Yehuda has three sons, and of course, uh, as the story moves along, we learn of the death of two of Yehuda's sons, Aaron and Onan. Eventually, of course, Yehuda's relationship uh, with Tamar, and finally, of course, at the very end of the parak, um, 28 psukim or so later, we're told the story of the birth of the last of Yehuda's two sons, the birth of Peretz and Zarah. Now, um, the story of Yehuda's separation from his brothers, uh, the story of Yehuda's family, uh, of his relationship with Tamar, this parak is often colloquially referred to as the story of Yehuda and Tamar, is of course interesting uh, in as uh, of itself. But we may be well justified in asking, what is the purpose of including this uh, story in the Torah uh, at this point? Um, and I think a, a way to formulate the question, really, is, is as a thematic question. And what I mean by that is, how does this story fit into uh, the surrounding material? And, and I think we may note that at first glance, it seems rather obvious to us that on the thematic plane, uh, the story of Yehuda's family, of the trials of Yehuda, of Yehuda and Tamar, does not necessarily fit into the larger uh, surrounding material of the Torah at this point. And uh, to get a grasp on this, what I'd like to do is to go back to the beginning of this week's parsha, to the first few verses of uh, Parshat Vayeshev. Um, we take a look there, uh, Parak Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Aleph, uh, tells us as, as follows. Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Migurei Aviv Be'eretz Kanan. Um, and Yaakov dwelt in uh, the land uh, that his um, fathers had sojourned in or dwelt in, in the land of Canaan. And the Torah goes on, Perak Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Bet, Ele Toldot Yaakov, Yosef Ben Shva Asoshana, etc. At this point, after Yaakov has settled in uh, the land of his forefathers, uh, so to speak, the, the story of the life of Yaakov comes to a, an end, one might even say. And we move on to the story of the fourth generation, to the story of Yosef and his brothers. And um, the story uh, goes on uh, to detail for us um, the, the sibling rivalry uh, between the brothers, uh, the Mechirat Yosef, the selling of Yosef, the fact that Yosef winds up in Mitzrayim. And of course, eventually, the Rav and the way that the brothers come to Mitzrayim and the eventual reconciliation between Yosef and his brothers way, way, way deep um, in Parshat Vayigash, all the way in Parak Memhe, approximately um, eight prakim later. 
Um, and, and in fact, more or less, the story of the Torah from Perak Lamad Zayin through Perak Memhei might be thought of as the story of Yosef and his brothers, their rivalry, their separation, and their eventual reconciliation in Parshat Vayigash. Alternatively, if we don't really want to think of this as a story of sibling rivalry culminating in the Mechirat Yosef and the eventual reconciliation, we can think of this as a story as to how Yaakov's family... Uh, the nascent entity of Kalal Yisrael eventually winds up down in Mitzrayim, moving towards uh, fulfillment of Brit Pinabtarim and enslavement in Egypt. Um, it is the complex and twisted story, the interaction of human initiative and divine providence, which eventually leads somehow or another to the entire family winding up down in Egypt and eventually uh, being in position to begin to fulfill uh, the necessary requirements of repentance of the Either way, whether we think of uh, these seven prakim of the Torah, the span from uh, the beginning of Ayeshev through about uh, the more or less the, the first part of, or some way into Parshat Be'igash, whether we think of it as the story of the sibling rivalry and the separation and eventual reconciliation of Yosef and his brothers, or we think about it as the movement of the nascent nation from Canaan to Mitzrayim in preparation for fulfillment of Brit Ben Avatarim. Either way, it's not really clear how Perak Laman Chet, our chapter, the story of Yehuda and his family, the story of Yehuda and Tamar, fits in at all. And one might well ask, what is it doing at this point uh, in the Torah? Um, this is one way uh, to formulate uh, the problem. Now, uh, another way um, to formulate the problem, uh, one which uh, I've learned from Ibn Ezra, um, is far more uh, technical, uh, far more literary on some plane, um, but yet uh, nevertheless interesting. What I'd like to do is take a look at the verse immediately preceding Perak Lamed Chet, as well as the verse immediately following Perak Lamed Chet. Well, Perak Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Lamed Vav, uh, the last pasuk of Perak Lamed Zayin, which is more or less the story of the rivalry and Mechirat Yosef, closes as follows. Vahamidanim machru otel el Mitzrayim, and the Midanim, uh, the Midianites, let's translate it this way, sold Yosef to Egypt, the Potiphar service, Paro Saratabachim, into the hands of Potiphar, uh, the officer of Paro, the Saratabachim, etc. So we have here the fact that Yosef is sold to Mitzrayim, uh, he sold to Potiphar, Sarah Tabachim, etc. If we jump forward to the Pasuk following Perak Lamed Chet, to Perak Lamed Tet, Pasuk Aleph, the Torah there tells us as follows. V'yosef hurad Mitzrayim, and Yosef was taken down to Egypt, v'ekneu Potiphar, Sris, Paro, Sarah Tabachim, Ish, Mitzri, etc., etc., etc. In other words, we have here a kind of natural continuation of Perak Lamed Chet, Pasuk Lamed Vav. Uh, we have the fact that Yosef is taken down to Mitzrayim and is given over to Potiphar, Siris, Paros, Sahar, Tabachim. Um, as Ibn Ezra um, succinctly puts it, Vilama Hiskir HaKatov Zot HaParsha, in reference to Perak Lamed Chet, which intervenes between the two psukim I just read, why did the Torah mention this parsha Makom in this place? V'haya ra'ui li'ot and it would have been suitable to place after the closing verse of Perak Lamed Zion, the fact that the Midanim sold Yosef to Egypt, Parshat 
for Yosef Urad Mitzrayim. One should have placed Perak Lamitet, the fact that Yosef was taken down to Egypt and sold to Potiphar Sarispara Saratabachim. In other words, there's a certain natural continuity between the very end of Perak Lamet Zion and the very beginning of Perak Lamitet. It is the natural continuity of the fact that Yosef is now brought down to Egypt and falls into the hands of Potiphar, and what happens to him there eventually happens to him there. And Perak Lamet Chet, in reading through the flow of the narrative, has the sense of an interruption, uh, or perhaps an eruption, something that comes forth, and it's not really clear at all what it's doing here in this point in time, in this place. And this, I think, is the technical and literary formulation of the problem uh, uh, by Ibn Ezra. So, whether we think of it as a larger thematic issue, the inclusion of the story of Yudah and Tamar in the Torah, or we think of it as a narrower technical literary issue of the fact that it seems to interrupt the flow of the narrative of the story of Mithirat Yosef and Yosef being taken down to Egypt. The problem is really the same. And we must ask ourselves, what exactly is this parak doing in the Torah at this point? What is its function? And what is its role in the Torah in this place? Now, well, there are in fact many uh, different solutions uh, to this problem. Uh, there, in fact, exists an interesting uh, literary connection between the beginning of Perak Lamed Chet and the beginning of Perak Lamed Tet. Uh, Perak Lamed Chet, Pasuk Aleph, says, um, For uh, expressing the concept of Yudah's separating or being separated from his brothers, the Torah uses the term, Yudah went down, so to speak, from his brothers. And this, of course, parallels the beginning of Perak Lamed Tet, uh, the return to the story of Yosef, where Perak Lamed Tet, Pasuk Aleph says, Yosef hurad Mitzrayim. Yosef was taken down against his will to Egypt. And based upon uh, the connection between Vayered Yehudah and Yosef hurad, um, both the Midrashim uh, and Ibn Ezra um, suggest possible solutions um, to the inclusion uh, of Perak Lamed Tet in the Torah. Um, but rather than explore um, these solutions, I would like to make a suggestion based upon the, the larger flow of the narrative here at this point uh, in Sefer Breshit. And uh, to understand this, I would like to go, get, go back again to the beginning of uh, Parshat Vayeshev uh, to Perak Lamed Zayin um, Pasuk uh, Aleph. Um, again, uh, what the Torah tells us is as follows. And Yaakov dwelt in uh, the land that his fathers had sojourned in, uh, the land of Canaan. Now, if we return to this first Pasuk, Yaakov dwells, Yaakov settles, really, not dwells, but Yaakov settles. Uh, Yaakov has arrived back home. The story of Yaakov, the story of the third generation, to some extent, has reached a kind of completion, and he lives Be'eretz Migurei Aviv. This, of course, is covenantal language, a term mentioned in the Brachot throughout uh, Sefer Breshit, um, that Yaakov will be given, it was promised Yaakov will be given the land of Migurei Aviv. Um, and to some extent, as pointed out previously, we now move over to the fourth generation. Ele Toldot Yaakov, translating for the moment like Rashbam, these are descendants of Yaakov. We move over to the next generation. And if in fact at this point there's a turn and we move over to the next generation, there's a kind of implicit question uh, that we must ask, uh, which is as follows, uh, quite pithily, who is in and who is out? By this I mean 
that in all three previous generations, we have seen a um, brother relationship where one brother, quote unquote, is is chosen, uh, becomes the covenantal one, and one brother uh, is not chosen. One brother is is excluded. Uh, if we take, for example, uh, the first generation, uh, the story of Avram. Now, does Avram have a brother? While we rarely think about it, Avram does in fact have a brother. The Torah refers to Lot numerous times as Avraham's brother. And this Ach Lot eventually, so to speak, um, moves out, moves away. Uh, he is excluded and, of course, moves over to the other side of the Arden, where eventually his descendants will. Of course, in the case of the second generation, Yitzchak and Yishmael, one brother is in and one brother is out. And, of course, in the case of the third generation, Yaakov and Esav, one brother is in and one brother is out. So when we come to talk about the fourth generation, um, Yosef and his brothers, the implicit question that uh, raises its head in the Torah at this point is, which one of the brother or brothers is going to be chosen, is going to be in, is going to be the covenantal one or ones, and which one of the brother or brothers is going to be out, is going to be excluded, etc. Now, while this is um, fundamentally correct, uh, I think that the story uh, of Yosef and his brothers needs to be viewed um, through this uh, lens of in and out, of included and excluded, but perhaps in a, in a slightly different fashion, because in the end of the day, um, as we well know, none of the brothers is excluded, none of the brothers is out, but in fact they are all in. And to understand exactly what the proper question or what the proper issue is, other than in and out, to raise, I think we need to turn back uh, one more parak to Parak Lamed Vav. Um, parak Lamed Vav, uh, Pasuk Aleph, uh, says as follows. Ve'ele todot Esav hu Adom. These are the generations of the descendants of Esav hu is Adom. Esav lakachet nashav mebinot Kna'an. Esav took his wives from the daughters of Kna'an. Adab batelon, etc., 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 the Torah goes on here uh, to give us a, a lengthy list of uh, the descendants of Esav. In fact, um, Perak Lamed Vav uh, um, is 43 psukim long. And for 43 psukim, the Torah details the genealogy and descendants of Esav. Now, on the surface, uh, this is not necessarily difficult. Um, because, after all, Hashem had promised uh, Avraham that he would be um, the Av of uh, many nations, uh, not just one nation. Goy v'kahal goyim, Av hamon goyim, etc. is language the Torah uses. And here the Torah reports the genealogy of the nation of Esav, um, similar to the way that the Torah reports the genealogy of the nation of Yishmael. And this is part of the Torah's witnessing to the accomplishment of the divine promise made to Abraham, that he will be the father of uh, many nations. Um, yet, I think uh, there is something uh, more to it than this. Uh, because if we take a look further on in Parak Lamed Vav, as part of the genealogy of uh, Esav, uh, the Torah says the following in Parak Lamed Vav, Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Ha-Malachim Asher Malchu Be'eretz Edom Lifnei Melach Melech Livnei Yisrael. And these are the kings that uh, ruled, that were kings in the land of Edom before a king uh, ruled for the Bnei Yisrael. Pasuk Lamed Bet, 
The Torah goes on to have a long list of the kings of Edom that ruled in Edom before um, any king ever ruled in Israel. Now, this of course is interesting, it's part of the genealogy of Asa, but what it does, or what I think it serves to do, as a kind of preface to Periklam and Zion, the story of Yosef and his brothers, is to place the issue of rulership, of leadership, of kingship, in the, in the technical sense, on the table, in advance uh, of our getting to Perak Lamentine. Because in the end of the day, the story or the crucial question about the fourth generation, the generation of Yosef and his brothers, is not so much who is in and who is out, who is the covenant, the one who is excluded, but it's rather if this group represents the nascent Kla Yisrael, the future nation, uh, they are in fact the proto-nation, the question or the crucial issue is who is going to be the leader, um, who is going to be the ruler, from which group or subgroup will uh, the kings of Israel one day descend, and the introduction uh, of kingship into the genealogy of Esau serves as an introduction to Perak and Zion, and to the crucial question of rulership and kingship in Perak and Zion, the story of Yosef and his brothers. Uh, now, in fact, um, I think the notion of kingship or rulership comes up uh, in two different contexts, almost explicitly in Periklam and Zion, as part and parcel of the story of Yosef and his brothers. Um, how does the rivalry begin, or how does the hatred uh, between Yosef and his brothers begin? Well, one of the, the key elements is the Ktonet Pasim. Periklam and Zion, Pasuk Gimel, tells us as follows. Yisrael ahav et Yosef mikol banav. And Yisrael loved Yosef more than others because he was born to him in his old age. And he made him a ketonet pasim. Now, it's not at all clear what the ketonet pasim is or was. Rashi tells us that it is a, a striped coat. And Ibn Ezra tells us that it is a long-sleeved coat, one that covers the pasehayad, the palms of the hands. But quite clearly, it symbolizes something. And it seems to be a, a key issue uh, in the relationship between uh, Yosef and his brothers. Uh, a bit later on in the text, when Yosef goes to uh, Dotana to find his brothers, uh, the brothers look up and see him coming and respond, well, Hine balachalamot, here comes the dreamer. They plot to kill him. And in Pasuk Kaf Gimel, when Yosef arrives, the Torah says as follows, V'yikasher by Yosef. And it was when Yosef came, Elachab to his brothers, Vayafshitu et Yosef et Kutanto et Kitonet Hapasim Asheralav. Before they even throw him into the pit, the very first thing the brothers do is they, they strip off his coat. They strip off that Kitonet Pasim, because that Kitonet Pasim represents something. Now, here in the text of Vayeshev, well, it represents that special love uh, that the father, Yaakov, demonstrated to Yosef, and it is that which the brothers are jealous of. But in fact, I think it also has a certain kind of technical meaning. Um, if we look uh, later on in the Tanakh, in Sefer Shmuel, in Sefer Shmuel, Bet, Perak Yudgimel, um, there we have the story of Amnon and Tamar, and the story of the rape of Tamar by Amnon. In the aftermath of those events, uh, the, the Tanakh, Sefer Shmuel, in, almost incidentally remarks that Tamar wore a special garment. pasim. And upon her there was a ketonet pasim. Kichain tilbashna bnot hamelech. Because this was what the daughters of the king wore. 
The Ketonic Pasim later on in Israel was a, a special garment worn by princesses. It was a distinction, a sign of malchut, of being chosen. And so to here, back originally in Parshat Vayeshev, we may claim that the Ketonic Pasim, what the brothers resent, is this mark of distinction, this mark of future leadership, this mark of malchut that Yaakov has bestowed upon Yosef. And this is one place where the issue of kingship is very clear as a sticking point between the brothers in Perak Lamed Zayin. Of course, there's a far more explicit example in the, in the instance of the first dream of uh, Yosef. The first dream of Yosef consists of all the brothers, or all the bundles, so to speak, being in the field. In Pasuk Zayin, the Torah tells us, so, yeah, Yosef tells his brothers how your bundle stood up and bowed down to my bundle, and the brother's reaction is very, very clear in Pasuk Chet. And his brother said to him, Hamaloch timloch aleinu. Are you going to be king over us? In Mashal timshal banu. Are you going to rule over us? And they continue to hate him, hate him even more. Al-chalamotav. What the brothers hate, what the brothers resent, what the brothers despise, and where arises their anger, is Yosef's pretensions and claims of leadership and kingship that he will be king over them. Now, how does all this help us, uh, realizing that one of the core issues between Yosef and his brothers is the future kingship of Israel? How does all this help us with Paraklam and Chet? Well, I think realizing that the story of Yosef and his brothers is not just really a story of, of sibling rivalry, of separation and reconciliation, but it's also a symbol about leadership and kingship may in fact help us uh, with Paraklam and Chet. Because let us take a look how Paraklam and Chet ends. Um, Paraklam and Chet ends, as pointed out previously, with the birth of the last two sons of uh, Yehuda. And the Torah there tells us in Paraklam and Chet, Pasuk Kaf Zayin, Vahib Eit Lidata, and it was when Tamar came to give birth, Vinei Tomim Bivitna, etc. And of course, one then stuck out his hand, but then the uh, then he took back his hand, Vinei Yatsa Achiv, Vatomer, and then his other brother came out first, and, and the and she said, Ma Paratz Dalecha Paratz, Veikrashmo Paratz, Vahayatsa Achiv. Essentially, the parak ends with the birth of Paretz and Zarach, with, of course, Paretz being the firstborn and achieving uh, greater prominence in the text in Parak Lamanchet. Now, why is this important? Because we all should remember the very end of Seferut, of Migilat Rut. Um, Migilat Rut ends with the genealogy of David HaMelech. And what we're told there in Rut, Parak Dalad, Pasuk Yudchet, is the follows. These are the descendants of Paretz, of course, the son of Yehuda. Paretz holded Chetzron, the Chetzron holded Ram, etc. And then a bit further on, a few psukim later on, in Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Vesamon holded Boaz, Boaz holded Oved, Oved holded Ishai, Vishad holded David. David, the future king of Israel, the future rightful king of Israel, is descendant from Boaz, a central character in Mikilat Rot, who is, of course, descended from. Paretz, the son of Yehuda. So I think on some level, it is no surprise that if the larger narrative of Yosef and his brothers is about leadership and the future kingship of Israel, part and parcel, or in the end, as part of that narrative, we are told, Paraklam and Chet, the story of the birth of Paretz, 
who eventually from him descends David, the future king of Israel. And on some level, it is kind of fitting that regarding the character Yehuda, that Yaakov says, La shevet mi Yehuda, later on in the Brachot and Sefer Breshit, that the staff of leadership will never be removed from Yehuda, that the one who is said to be the future leader, here we are told about the bridge between Yehuda on the one hand, and eventually through the means of parrots, the bridge between Yehuda and David, the future king of Israel. And on some level, it fits into the larger narrative here about kingship and leadership, and perhaps this to some extent explains the presence of Paraklamid Chet here at this point in Sefer Breshit. Now, while I think this is uh, basically correct, I think there is much that could be added uh, to it. Um, and I would like to make a um, linguistic point, uh, something about thematic connections between Paraklamid Chet and the surrounding material. Um, a point which I think eventually will bring us back to the same idea of, of kingship, uh, but perhaps in a, in a slightly different way. And to do this, I'd like to look at uh, some of the text of Paraklam and Chet, perhaps at the, at the climax, to some extent, of Paraklam and Chet. Um, the high point uh, in the drama uh, of the story of Yudah and Tamar. Um, as we well know, Tamar becomes pregnant uh, by Yudah, after uh, pretending to be a zona on the road. Eventually, Yehuda is informed uh, that Tamar has become uh, pregnant, and um, Yehuda's reaction is quick and to the point. Um, in Parak Lamed Chet, Pasak Dalid, uh, the Torah tells us as follows, Vayomer Yehuda, Hotzi Uha Saref. Yehuda peremptorily sentences Tamar to death, let her, take, take, let her be taken out and be burnt. And then the Torah tells us as follows in um, Pasuk Kafhei. He mut'et v'hi shalcha el chamiha. She was being taken out. She sent to her father, no leymar, le'ish asher ele lo anochi hara. Uh, it is by the man who these belong to that I have become pregnant, v'atoma. And she said, ha'ker na, recognize l'miha chotemet v'aptilim v'amata ela. Who does this seal, uh, this cord, and this staff belong to? Verse 26, uh, She is more righteous than I am. She is right, I am wrong. Uh, etc. Uh, because I did not give her to Shela, my third son, uh, for the process of Yibum uh, to be married. Therefore, she has done the right thing. She is more righteous than I. Uh, because if uh, she should not have, if she did not have Shela as a husband, uh, she should have myself, Yehuda, who would be next in line. And she is more righteous than I. Now, uh, to sum this up, what happens here in the text is uh, Tamar sends, she is sholachat, um, uh, these, a group of particular objects. She claims hakerna, she demands uh, that Yehuda recognize. And then we're told, vayaka Yehuda, Yehuda does in fact recognize, vayomer tzadka mimeni. Now, before exploring how this language uh, parallels something that has previously appeared in the text uh, of Sefer Breshit, I think it is important uh, to think about the dynamics of uh, the story at uh, this point. Um, when Tamar sends uh, the, the, the sign, uh, the seal, uh, the cord, and the staff, Yuda has or possesses the possibility of pursuing the path that has been on until this point. Uh, until this point, 
um, Yehuda has thought of Tamar as what might be thought of as, as a cursed woman. Uh, two of her husbands have died. Uh, you does not imagine that the problem is on his side, was with his two sons, Aaron and Onan, and he views Tamar as being the problematic entity, as being the cause of the problem. And Yehuda possesses the possibility of persisting uh, in this path. After all, Tamar sends in a way um, which Yehuda can simply cover up. Um, it is only Yehuda who recognizes uh, the objects, his, his sign and his seal and his cord and his staff, etc. And Yehuda, again, he can pursue his current path, he can view the problem as being with Tamar, um, he can maintain his dignity, he can cover up. But as opposed to maintaining his dignity and covering up, as opposed to acting with conceit, what does Yehuda do? Well, Yehuda recognizes, Yehuda acts with humility, uh, Yehuda does not act with uh, conceit, Yehuda is able to engage in self-criticism, um, and more than that, uh, and this crucially, Yehuda recognizes that he has been uh, irresponsible to Tamar until this point. Um, that he has ignored her suffering, the fact that she was left alone. So you die here, uh, so to speak, um, as able to engage in self-criticism. He's able to act with humility. He's able to recognize the fact that he has acted irresponsibly and he's ignored the suffering of a family member who should not be allowed to suffer. Um, now, why is this all important? Because I think this language projects back into um, the previous parak in a very, very important way. Um, let us go back to Perak Lamed Zayin, um, Pasuk uh, Lamed Aleph, where I think we find, or we begin to find, very, very similar language. After the brothers sell Yosef, um, the Torah tells us as follows, Perak Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Ve'yichuet Ketonet Yosef, and they took the code of Yosef, Ve'yishchatu Si'erizim, they slaughtered a Si'erizim, Ve'yitpaluet Ketonet Badam, they dipped the code in the blood. Ve'yishalchu et Ketonet HaPasim, and they sent the Ketonet Pasim, uh, and was brought to their father, this we found, it is exactly the same language that we find later on in Parak Lamed Chet, the sending, um, the demand for Hakirna, the demand to recognize, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, of course Yaakov recognizes. So this, three-part complex of the shiluchin, the sending of a particular object, the demand for hakena, the demand for recognition, and eventually um, the recognition by the person that the object is sent to occurs in both prakim, both in paraklamatet and paraklamatet. To some extent, the way I referred to this before, that the language of shiluchin hakena projects back into paraklamatet, back into paraklamatet. Well, what is the connection? I think on the thematic plane, you have here the connection of opposites. And to understand this, um, we need to go a bit further back in the text of Perak Lamed Zayim uh, and to think exactly about what happens in Mechirat Yosef. So going back to Perak Lamed Zayim, Pasuk Kaftalet, we're told as follows, Um, And they took Yosef and they threw him into the pit, and the pit was empty, it had no water. Um, so Yosef was now in a difficult situation. He was certainly thirsty at the very least. Um, and later on, actually, in uh, Parshat Miketz, 
to the brothers' quasi-confession when they do not realize that Yosef is listening in on them, um, we learn that Yosef was in fact uh, in danger of his life and he cried out for his life to be spared. But the brothers ignore Yosef's thirst or they ignore his suffering and Pasuk Kafei tells us, They sat down to eat. While their brother is starving and thirsty in the pit, they sit down to eat. Then after they see the uh, caravan of Ishmaelim coming along, Pasuk Kavav Yehuda speaks and here his words are representative of the brother's attitude overall. Vayom Yehuda elechav um, and Yehuda said to his brothers, Ma betza There is no profit in killing our brother and covering his blood. Let us go sell him to the Ishmaelim. So at least our poor suffering brother and while they're enjoying their meal, they plot, well, let's sell him. Uh, at least let's make a bit of profit off of this. We might say that um, the attitude of Yehuda to his suffering brother is not optimal to say the very least. And the attitude of the brothers overall uh, to Yosef is not optimal to say uh, at the very least. Uh, it ignores his suffering and it is inherently irresponsible on some plane at the very least. Of course, what happens? Well, after they sell him, they then cover up uh, their behavior, which originates in their own conceit and their own disregard for their brother. And they cover it up through the means of Haker, Na, and the Shiluchin, and the recognition of Yaakov. How does this, of course, end? Pasuk Lamedal, Ve'ikra Yaakov, Simlotov, Ve'asim, Sakom, Matav, Ve'ta'abel, Al-Beno, Yamim, Rabim. Everybody attempts to console Yaakov, but Yaakov is fundamentally inconsolable. So we have here a kind of complex of, we might think of it as a complex of haughtiness, irresponsibility, um, lack of concern for the suffering of the family members, whether it be Yaakov or whether it be Yosef, uh, a lack of thought of the consequences of what effect the Mechirat Yosef would have upon Yaakov. And that is what happens in Perak Lamentine. I would like to suggest that on some level, all of this begins to reverse itself in the second occurrence of Shiluchin and Haterna, which is found in Perak Lamenchet. At the moment when Tamar sends the objects to Yehuda and says, Haterna, and Yehuda responds, Sad kamimeni, Yehuda begins to be able to act with humility, without conceit, to see that the other side might in fact be right, um, to act with self-criticism, to learn that until now he has acted irresponsibly to his family members, that he has been disregardful of the suffering of his family members. In other words, in the story of Yudah and Tamar, Yudah acts or begins to act exactly the opposite of how he acted in the story of Mithrat Yosef. And this is a very, very crucial connection. Now, to wrap this up, we have to realize that the language of Paraklam and Chet projects not just backward into Paraklam and Zion, but also, we might say, forward into something that happens near the end of the story of Yosef and his brothers, to some of the events later on at the end of Parshat Miketz and the beginning of Parshat Ve'igash. Now, to understand this, we have to realize that this, these objects, the Chotemet, the Ptilim, and the Matep, uh, the seal, uh, the cord, and the stick of, Ye- of Yehuda, are also known in another way in Perak Lamedchet. Um, if we go back to Perak Lamedchet, Pasuk Zion, chapter 38, verse 17, uh, there we have a report in the Torah of the deal made between Yudah and Tamar, and Yudah agrees uh, to send the Gdi Izim as payment, and then uh, Tamar responds as follows, in Lamedchet Yudchet, Vatomer im titain eravon ad shalchecha. Give me some sort of guarantee or guarantor um, 
until you send the promised payment. Uh, what is the guarantee that I should give you? And she said, etc. So uh, these objects, the Chotem, the Ptila, and the Mata, Mata, are known as an Eravon, as a guarantee or a guarantor, and of course, they play a key role in the uh, in the continuation of the story. Now, this language of a ravon uh, is, in fact, a kind of interesting term. It's a relatively rare term in Sefer Breshit. Interestingly enough, it occurs later on in the story of Yosef and his brothers in two very important uh, contexts. The first is in Perak Mem Gimel. Perak Mem Gimel reports to us the fact that Yosef, uh, that Yaakov and his sons uh, have reached uh, the breaking point. Um, and Yaakov uh, requests uh, of his sons to go back to Mitzrayim and, and to bring back more food. Of course, the brothers respond that they cannot because they have to bring Binyamin. Um, Yaakov refuses Reuven's offer uh, to have his two sons die if something happens to Binyamin. And then in Parak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Hey, um, the Torah says as follows, Remember, Yudah Yisrael Aviv, Shilcha Anariti, um, send the boy with me. And then moving on in Pasuk Tet, he says as follows, Anochi Ervenu, I will guarantee him, Miadi Tivakshenu, from my hand you can request him, Imloha Vyotiv Elecha, if I do not bring him back to you, Vitzaktiv Lafanecha, and present him in front of you, Vichatati Lecha Kalyamim. Basically, what Yudah says, using the term, Aravut, uh, mutual responsibility, guarantee, guarantor, the term used back in the story of Periklamachat, I will be responsible, I will be the guarantor, and it's a personal promise that Yos, that Yudah makes to his father that I am personally responsible. Fascinatingly enough, this language plays a key, this term, a Ravon or Arevut, plays a key role in the very, very final conversation between Yudah and Yosef, right before uh, Yosef reveals himself, and reconciliation is achieved uh, in the story. In Perak Mendalid, Pasuk uh, Lamed Bet, um, Yudah says as follows, Ki avdecha arav mi Your servant, i.e. myself, Yudah, has been a guarantor or become a guarantor uh, for uh, the lad from my father. I will have sinned to my father all of my days. Yehuda is willing to present himself instead of Binyamin. How can I go up to my father lest I see the suffering that my father, what would happen to my father? Yehuda here expresses at the key moment, at the climax of the entire story, the idea of responsibility contained, responsibility for family members contained in the term arevut, uh, guarantor or responsibility. He says, I cannot deal with acting irresponsibly towards Binyamin or towards my father. I cannot deal with uh, seeing the suffering of either Binyamin or their father. And it's exactly at that moment when Yuda demonstrates these midot, these uh, character attributes, that's when the story reaches a conclusion. The very next verse, that's when Yosef reveals himself. In other words, when the tikkun, when the repair 
of those uh, elements demonstrated in Mechirat Yosef, the irresponsibility, the lack of concern for the suffering of the brother-father, are repaired by Yehuda here at the very end of the story, that's when the story comes to its climax, that's when the story comes to its conclusion. And what plays a key role in all of this? I'd like to suggest Perak Lamed Chet. It's in that story, the story of Eravon, which projects forward, and the story of Haker and Shiluchin that projects back, that Yehuda begins to learn about seeing the other side, begins to learn about concern for the suffering, begins to learn about responsibility. And in his ability to say Tzad Kamimeni, Yehuda begins to move towards the point in Paraklamachet where reconciliation can eventually be achieved. I would just like to close by bringing this all back to the question of Malchut, to the question of kingship, because I think the two suggestions I have made are in some very interesting way interconnected. Um, Parak Yud Zayin in Sefer Dvarim uh, gives us a whole long list of requirements for the king of Israel, what the Melech must do in Parsha. Uh, this it is Parsha Tamelech. And to some extent, the way the Parsha concludes is with Pasuk Kaf. Pasuk Kaf, Parak Yud Zayin, Pasuk Kaf, and Dvarim says as follows. Why must the king do all these things? The Vilti Rum Levavo Meachiv. So that his, uh, bro- his heart does not become elevated above his brothers. The king of Israel cannot act with conceit, cannot act with arrogance. He must act with humility. Uh, he must be able to engage in self-criticism. He must act responsibly for others. And he must be concerned with the suffering of his brothers. His heart cannot be elevated. I'd like to suggest that Yehuda is suited uh, to be the father of the future kings of Israel. Why is it that Peretz and David descend from him? Because here in Paraklamet he begins to learn this lesson of the Vilti Rum Levavomeachav, and it's through Yehuda's understanding that his heart cannot be elevated above his brothers, of his learning to act responsibly, responsibly and can be concerned for the suffering of others, that he is privileged to be the father of the future kings uh, of Israel.